Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Hi, everyone. Happy Sunday. We're doing our Back to Basics series. We learn everything there is to know about science of mind in four weeks. Maybe not everything, but most of it. And I'll do a quick recap for you. The first week we talked about God itself, the thing itself. And we covered the idea that God is really everything. Every person, place, everything, every situation, all of it. The manifest universe, everything seen and unseen, you name it, it's part of God. Last week, Reverend uh, Lynn Johnson talked about the idea of, well, then that must include me, right? If God is everything, why would I be an exception to that? I have to be part of that, in fact. And so when we talked about how God works, it works well through us. I mean, we're part of God's agency in the world. When God gets things done in the human plane anyway, it gets done through people. So in a way, your actions, your thoughts are part of God's actions and thoughts. Even when they don't necessarily feel very God-like, nonetheless, um, we're part of God. There's that divinity in us. And that which we do and think and say is part of the consciousness of God moving forward. Today we're going to talk about what it does, and I can summarize it so very easily simply by saying our thoughts become things. So one of the primary teachings of Ernest Holmes is that our thoughts are creative. That in fact everything that we see and do and touch and taste is a result of the unseen side of life, a result of God's consciousness, and because our consciousness is part of God's consciousness, our thoughts are creative too. So this is a good news and a bad news story. I want to talk a little bit about the bad news part of the story as well as the good news, because I, I don't know about you, but some of my thoughts aren't always all that helpful. If my thoughts become things, what about one of those days when I'm just pissy? Have you ever had one of those days where I swear people could deliver you the universe on a platter and you just knock it aside, <laughs> right? You just wake up that way and your thoughts are full of dark thoughts and you're, you, you know, you find fault in everything and, and life just seems kind of crummy. Well, I have bad news for you. <laughs> Those thoughts are creative, too. Now here, what we like to teach, uh, and, and what we certainly believe, is that we can begin to have dominion over our thoughts. And by that, what I mean is, we can shake off one of those pissy days. We don't have to go through the whole day just hating on everybody. We can shake it off. That's part of the idea of dominion. When you recognize what you're thinking and it doesn't really seem all that productive, we can take charge of that. We can say, wait a minute, wait a minute here. Do I really want to have a terrible day? Because <laughs> that's where I'm headed. <laughs> Instead, maybe I should focus on a day that I want to have instead of focusing on the day that I don't want to have. Maybe I should begin thinking of myself as powerful. Maybe I should be thinking of my life as, as filled with love and goodness. Maybe I should take responsibility for thinking things that would be productive 
in a productive way instead of productive in the sense of creating more misery for myself. So really that is the essence of the idea of our thoughts are creative. They're working all the time, creative all the time, and we get to exercise or not dominion over those thoughts. So let me read how uh, this chapter uh, starts, uh, how he introduces the idea of this principle. He says, we're surrounded by a mind or intelligence that knows everything. It is that potential knowledge of all things that exists in the mind. And that abstract essence of beauty, of truth, of wisdom, it exists in the mind of the universe that we also exist in it. And we may draw from it. But what we draw from it, we must draw through the channel of our own minds. And so on week one, when I talked about the limitless nature of the universe, when I talked about, my gosh, the riches of all things, all the love, all the joy, all the peace being inherent in God, that was the completely good news story. But today we're going to unfortunately tamper that down a little bit because we can receive it only to the degree that we can think it and believe it and embrace it in our own lives. And so for us to claim a greater expression of anything, whether it's a a more loving relationship, whether it's a better job, whether it's a a nicer connection to our higher power, um, whether it's, um, I don't know, more material possessions or getting a better babysitter or you name it, anything anything or, or any experience we want to have that's greater than what we have now, our consciousness to believe that's possible needs to expand with it. Do you get me with that one? Because a lot of times I hear people and I, I, my guess is they think they're using this principle and I think they're just wishing. Have you ever heard anyone talk about what they're going to have? When, when I retire, I'm really going to have the good life. I'm going to get my social security and my pension and oh my gosh, then I can really put aside all this trouble and really enjoy myself. Well, that sounds nice, but I'm here to tell you, unless you can really embrace it, unless that's really the center of your being to say, this is for me and I shall have it. If you don't do that, it's just a wish. It's just a, a polite way of saying, this is what I would really like to have if I had the gumption, but I don't. And by gumption, I mean taking dominion over our thoughts, really sitting down and saying, these thoughts are not suitable for the life that I want to have. Um, you know, <laughs> the other thing I think about our thinking is, most of the time we're not even conscious about it. I and, you know, guilty as charged officer, but, <laughs> but my fear is most of our lives we go sailing through having just a, a million gazillion thoughts. Now, there's a good news and bad news story there, too. Uh, the thoughts that just zoom in and zoom out again, I don't think they have a lot of creative power. I mean, if I just thought, I, in fact, there it went, I had a thought of a blue... <laughs> I had a thought of a blue elephant in the parking lot. Let me just check really quick, but (laughs) no, see? So just an idle thought. (laughs) Well, I should check. It could happen. Just an idle thought. No big deal. No big deal. 
But you know what? I'm here to say as your minister, if I made this a point in my mind, if in my mind I kept having an equi a mental equivalent, a picture of blue elephants, and I was pretty consistent in this, after a few Sundays, I don't know whether the circus would pitch a tent, but something, something would happen that would bring about my experience of a blue elephant. It just works that way. That is the way the power of the mind works. So what do you think is one of our best uses? Oh, no, no, let me revise that. <laughs> What do you think one of our more powerful uses of this principle is? It's worry. Now think about this for a minute. When we worry about something, we're repetitively thinking about it. We've got a little bit of an emotional charge on it. It kind of runs through our brain repeatedly over and over again. And if you've noticed about worriers, it kind of kind of even gets deeper and de you know, pretty soon you're playing out the scenarios of what awful things might have happened and it, it kind of builds on it. Oh my gosh, is that a powerful way to use this principle? Powerful, of course, in the most negative way. It's no wonder that people begin worrying because their worry creates some of the very things they're afraid of, which gives them a lot to worry about, <laughs> right? It tends to be one of those circular kind of patterns. I want to propose that we do some anti-worry today because it can have the same cumulative power. And let me give you an example. So maybe the next time you're a little bit fearful of some kind of an outcome, just the genesis of a worry, the, the very beginning of something that's troubling you a little bit. Maybe, maybe your boss has left you a message on the desk to see you Monday morning. And right, just the little germ of a worry. Well, oh Lord, what's going to happen? Did he find out about that one phone call I made? You know, whatever it is. What if we instead practice positive worry? What if instead we said things like, uh, what's the best that could happen here? Could it be that the boss has actually noticed how great I've been lately? Could it be that I'm one of the best employees here? Could it be that there is some new project that the boss wants me to work on? Could it be that the boss has noticed that this other project I work on really saved the company a lot of money and wants to give me uh, an award or kudos? Could it be, this could be like the best day I've had at work in a long time. Do you see how we could actually do positive worry. Now, you're, some of you are beginning to think, well, yeah, but negative worry, I can really put some juice into it. And as you're talking about positive worry, there's a little part of me that doesn't quite believe it. You see, there's the dominion part again. There is the dominion part again. Because if we want things to get better, and, and it doesn't matter what realm you're talking about, a relationship getting better, a job getting better, a, um, I don't know, improvements in, in your work or school, anything you want to do that stretches you, you have to believe in it first. You have to understand that it is for you. You have to take dominion of your thoughts to which you can dispel the naysaying in your own mind and claim it. Claim it as though it was already yours. And when you can do that, 
you will succeed at whatever it is you wish. Now, how do we get from there to there? How do we get to that point of really claiming, of taking dominion over something positive that we don't quite have yet? Well, first of all, sometimes you need to just argue with yourself. Why shouldn't I have that? Why, honestly, why shouldn't I have that? If I am created in the likeness and image of the divine, if there is that spark of God in me, would I say that God shouldn't have a nice life? Would I say that God shouldn't have a great relationship? Well, no, of course not. So why would I limit myself in that way? It's time to like rise up a little bit and claim our inheritance. The spark of the divine is in us. We were made out of God's stuff. That creative nature of God is our creative nature. Let's use it. Let's not be shy about it. Let's take claim of our ability to think our way into a beautiful future. Now, it may be the first few times that you do an affirmation of something better, there may be that little voice on your shoulder that says, yeah, right. Who are you to get a big raise at work, right? Or or you play my little game that I just suggested, a positive worry, and somewhere you get into the positive worry, and it's like, what am I saying? My boss hates me. (laughs) This is never going to happen. It's like, maybe it's time incrementally to, to climb up that ladder. Start with something that you can believe, Start with an affirmation of something that's better than what you have right now that you could have. I know a lot of people uh, with the lottery stakes being so high lately, right? Were were we all buying out at least one ticket, right? Because the theory is, well, if I don't even buy a ticket, I never can win, right? But I want to suggest to you, most of us do not have the consciousness to actually receive, well, a billion dollars, but... Probably not even $100,000. And so when we set our goals on something like winning the lottery, when we set our goals on, you know, I don't know, a job that pays $75,000 a year, there's a little hiccup factor in our head that says, well, yeah, but that's just a wish. It's not really, I'm not really going to win a million dollars. I'm not really going to get, was it 1.2 billion? It's, I mean, right? Isn't that a little voice, even as you're buying the ticket, the voice is saying, well, you know, at least the dollar will go to schools or something. <laughs> and it's natural because we don't have the consciousness to own that kind of money. We're not used to it. It seems foreign to us. But how much could you own? I'm sure everyone here has had a raise at work, and so we're familiar with the idea of getting, I don't know, a, a big tax refund check or a, or a raise at work or something like that. So we can receive more money. So leverage that. Yeah, I could get a $10,000 a year raise. That happened to my brother-in-law. It was a sweet deal. I could sign up for that. So I think the way that we make increases is by stretching our comfort zone in belief. Now, I know that we're familiar with the idea of of, uh, stretching our comfort zone in social situations. We're familiar with the idea of stretching our comfort zone in other areas of of our lives. Let's do it with our thinking as well. 
Let us begin to stretch what we believe is possible. It is possible for us to have loving relationships. It is possible for us to have great jobs. It is possible for us to have raises. Let us begin striving towards weeding out the garden of our thoughts, getting rid of the things that drag us down, and building up incrementally the things that will lift us up into the lives that we desire. And if you find yourself wishing for something, and yet in your heart of hearts, you know, yeah, that's not going to really happen, then pitch that out. That is not a useful way of thinking. Instead, picture something that's still stretching your goal, still moving you forward in the area you want to be. If performing at the Carnegie Hall seems like, well, that's a nice, but it isn't going to happen. Well, let's start at a McMinimins then. (laughs) Right? Let's start. (laughs) Don't listen to me. (laughs) Honestly, you can be at Carnegie Hall, I promise. But... uh, but for the <laughs> but honestly we have to start our dreams somewhere some element of it we do have to believe that it's right for us otherwise it is just a a wish just a hope so we plunge ahead as best we can elevating our thoughts as high as we can towards our ultimate goal if we can't get all the way that's okay we we ratchet down a little bit into something that's still a stretch is still powerful, is still headed in the direction that we want to go. And we try our best to weed out the negative thoughts, the the thoughts of, well, this isn't going to work or this is going to take too long. It's like, who cares? It's like, who cares? We will just see if this can't work out to our benefit. The other thing I want to talk about a little bit uh, is, uh, is something you're probably all familiar, and you might even wonder where it came from. In fact, we've got another one on our banner back there. So this is the Science of Mind, quote, logo. And you might wonder, well, gosh, couldn't a marketing team have done a prettier job on a, <laughs> on a logo than that? But where it actually comes from is Ernest Holmes' Science of Mind textbook. And it actually was called the teaching symbol. And frankly, it just illustrates what we're talking about today. That it's, it's roughly divided into thirds. And the top part is our thoughts. The bottom part are the things created by our thoughts. And the little middle section is that activity of God, that creative nature of God that turns thoughts into things. And then the little V, which is kind of like a funnel, it's basically saying, as I funnel my thoughts into God's creativity, I will see the result of it in the physical world. So if I funnel in thoughts of love, of light, of joy, of peace, you can bet on a pretty sweet existence on the planet. If you funnel in a lot of self-doubt and trouble, um, ideas of scorn and separation, unfortunately, you'll get to see a lot more of that in your life. So that's where our, our little teaching symbol comes from. It's always a handy reminder that our thoughts become things. Last thing I want to talk about today is kind of a question that I'll pose to you. So when do you think this principle is working? Yeah. And the reason, yeah. 
And the reason I bring that up is a lot of us are, are very well-trained metaphysicians. We have spiritual practices. We sit down in the morning and we meditate. And many of us have uh, uh, prayer partners that we pray with. Many of us uh, in the evening write down in our gratitude journals and, and do all of the things really that a good metaphysician should be doing. But I also get the idea that those are the only times that we think this law is active, right? <laughs> And so when we're praying, of course we're praying for positive things. When we're meditating, of course we're, we're meditating on mental equivalents of, of lives that are beautiful and wonderful. And, and when we're writing in our gratitude journal, we're writing down all the positive things that happen. I mean, we're doing a great job. And then we go to the break room at work and start gossiping about how awful the government is. <laughs> Don't we? Our, no, I'm not seeing, our, I, I, now let's not fib. <laughs> I will own up to my negative thoughts about how the government is working these days. But I will tell you, that too is a course of thinking that will have its outcome. The more of us that think the United States is in a bad shape, the more of us that think that our government doesn't know what it's doing, the more real that will become for us. Oh, holy shit. <laughs> I know I'm not supposed to say that. <laughs> we'll edit it out of the podcast, I promise. <laughs> Think about it, though. This is really a rallying call to have dominion over our everyday thoughts, not just our spiritual practice. If we want to see more love in the world, we have, to, we have to be able to think of love even when the neighbor who doesn't pick up their dog's poop is like confronting you on the sidewalk about your dog's poop. Not that that would ever happen in the real world, of course. And we have to have dominion over our thoughts around keeping a positive attitude around America and politics even when we see a presidential debate. Honestly, if we want to see the country being run well, we have to be able to imagine it. We have to be able to visualize it. We have to have that in our prayer work. We have to know that our elected politicians will indeed move forward in our wishes for greater peace and, and greater financial responsibility. And if we can hold that, if, we, if that becomes part of what we believe is true, you will see it happen. It happens in other countries in the world. There's no reason it cannot happen in our United States if we are for it instead of against something. Right now, especially in politics, I just see a lot of againstness and a lot of kind of negative gossip that will produce negative situations. It will produce people worthy of being gossiped about. <laughs> Think about it. All right, time for our joke. <laughs> An avid duck hunter was in the market for a new bird dog after his old loving dog had passed away. Frankly, he would thought he'd never find a bird dog as good as his old one. But he finally settled on a retriever with great experience and pedigree. I'm a little disappointed, though, in how much I had to pay for him, he said to his hunting buddy. 
As the hunters approached the duck blind, the dog ran ahead, dug out all the leaves and some litter left behind the other hunters. When they got to the blind, it was clean and ready. Well, I'm a little disappointed in how noisy that dog is, said the hunter. He's bound to scare away the ducks. But that wasn't the case. Soon a steady stream of ducks flew overhead. The hunters fired, a duck fell. The dog responded immediately. In an instant, the dog, however, did not jump into the water, but instead walked across it (laughs) to retrieve the bird. Not a single paw got wet. As the dog dropped the bird at the hunter's feet, the man sighed, Well, I'm a little disappointed that that fool dog can't even swim. (laughs) I'm sure you see where I'm headed with this. A lot of times we're right in the midst of reality, which is good and is sweet and is wonderful and we will do our darndest to find fault with it. There's some mechanism in the human spirit, and and I think it's part of that same mechanism that creates gossip and, and creates people talking about other people who aren't even present. There's something about, well, I call it, I call it, the sore gum syndrome. Have you ever had a little sore on your mouth and you just couldn't resist poking it with your tongue? And even though you know that every time you poke it, it's just going to hurt more, right? Am I the only one? (laughs) I think when I was seven, I would have called it the Band-Aid syndrome, right? Where you get, it's like mom puts on the Band-Aid and you just can't resist seeing if it'll still bleed or not. (laughs) Unfortunately, we bring that forward into our lives today. We are living in the midst of grandeur. Most of our lives, if you compared them to, to you know, a hundred other people on the planet, just randomly select people on the planet, probably 90 to 100 of them would be living lives that by anyone's outsider's estimation would be poorer than yours or have less opportunity, um, any number of negative factors. We are living the good life and we spend a whole lot of time denying it and finding fault with it. So I would like to suggest, and you can take this as your homework for this week if you're willing, to begin really noticing how wonderful your life is. To begin that idea of dominion by putting aside some of the gossip and negative thinking and just noticing how truly blessed we are. I want to start that cycle of positive worry. When we recognize how wonderful it is to be living in our apartment, when we recognize, oh my gosh, it's like my bills get paid every month. When we begin recognizing all of the, the, the good food we get to eat and the, the, the safe water that we have available to us, when, when we begin counting our blessings, it turns into a positive worry cycle. It turns into a kind of a blessing cycle, if you will. And that is the recipe for improvement. 
That is the recipe for you being able to recognize even more good in your life, to be able to recognize even more potential and possibilities. I'm going to close today um, with the final quote um, from this chapter. This is how he ends the third chapter uh, called What It Does. And here's what he says. This is Ernest Holmes uh, in the, the Science of Mind textbook. When we think something happens, the field through which thought operates is infinite. And there's no reason to doubt this. Here and now, we are surrounded by and immersed in an infinite good. How much of this infinite good is ours? All of it. And how much of it may we actually use? As much of it as we can think of and embody. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one goodness. It is, it is that thing which is all things, seen and unseen, the God of our hearts, the God of our minds, the God of our physical experience in the world, truly all. And what I know about it, because it is all, it means me, it means each of us, each of us, each of our consciousnesses is part of God's consciousness. And as thoughts become things for God, as the universe was created, so our thoughts become things in the world as our lives are created. And so today I, I claim that each person here has that ability to take dominion over thoughts and thereby experience a life that is greater than it is now more loving, more powerful, more joyous, more peaceful, that those dreams that we have of a better existence are made real by our thoughts. I'm simply grateful for this. I'm grateful for the, the higher awareness of how it works, yes, but also grateful to see such good in the world. And so in gratitude, I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.